Is there a judgment day coming? Are you prepared? Revelation reveals good news of how Jesus saves our dying world. In this episode entitled, The Warning, we will study three angels' messages that specifically prepare us for the final events that are about to take place. My name is Cami Utman, and Unlocking Bible Prophecies starts now. Chaos is increasing worldwide. There were reports of an active shooter. Divides on politics and a worldwide pandemic are sweeping our globe. It feels like the end of the world. Are we headed into a new world order? What will happen next? Join international speaker Kami Utman on a journey to unlock Bible truth and uncover key answers to your Bible questions. In Kami's travels around the world, she has documented incredible miracles while facing life and death situations. Join us for Unlocking Bible Prophecies 2.0, which will demonstrate how God has given us guidelines to successfully navigate through what lies ahead. Together, we will see how Bible prophecy is being fulfilled faster than ever before and how we can have hope for the future. Hi, my name is Cammie. Thank you for joining me for Unlocking Bible Prophecies. Maybe this is your first time viewing. Don't worry. You can go to awr.org forward slash Bible and watch all of the previous programs. Make sure and check out our many interesting resources again at awr.org forward slash Bible. Last night, we studied about the signs that forewarn us of what is going to take place right before Jesus' second coming. The Bible showed how near we are to the final moments by signs given in religion, politics, nature, and society. These signs point to the amazing climactic return of Jesus. Most importantly, it informs us that now is the time to prepare for Jesus' return. That is why Unlocking Bible Prophecies is such an important series. I do hope you will commit to watching every one of these 14 presentations. Let's pray together, and then we'll go right into our subject, The Warning. Dear Heavenly Father, Lord, thank you for loving us so much that you gave us a warning in Scripture to prepare us, not to frighten us, but to just warn us, Lord, to be ready for your second coming. Have us become acutely aware of the times in which we live and open our hearts to your teachings tonight, Lord. In Jesus' precious, powerful name, amen. Today we move into the book of Revelation. It is considered by many to be a mysterious book. Over the centuries, some have been fearful of its message. In fact, the book was banned from being read in certain Christian circles. But we should not fear this book, Revelation. It literally means to be unveiled. Tonight, the message will unveil a hope like nothing you've ever experienced before. Jesus foretold how this world's final events play out. Can we trust that this is what will happen? Absolutely, friends. God keeps every one of His promises to us. He is coming back soon to planet Earth to reclaim His people. How exciting it is to feel the nearness of our cosmic rescue from this world of uncertainty and pain. The final sign that Jesus gives to us is that the gospel will be preached to the whole world. As you can see, friends, today the gospel leaps across all barriers through radio, television, and the internet. God is reaching people in every way possible right now. It has been my privilege to travel the world documenting the miraculous changes in people's lives, from men and women carrying the burdens of sin and guilt to being freed and pardoned by the gospel news. 
I see the gospel being preached to all the world firsthand. Here's a story of how quickly the gospel can spread. Let me tell you about Barbie, an Afrikaans Dutch woman living on an isolated farm. She received audio Bible messages on her cell phone. These important gospel truths changed her life. She learned of the urgency of our day and that God has three specific messages to give to the world right now in our generation about the end time. Because her trust and love in Jesus was growing, she was compelled to share what she was learning with her whole village. See, you cannot hide the truth once you know it. It has to be shared. She herself was only one study ahead of them, but shared what she knew as they went along. The villagers began to respond positively, asking to study the Bible more as a group together. So dozens of her neighbors came to study with her under a big tree in her front yard. One day, Barbie was working in her house when she heard a lot of noise outside. She was surprised that an unfamiliar group of people gathered outside her house. She couldn't believe it. It was then that a man entered and introduced himself as Upa. He, along with 50 from his village, had hiked 37 miles, that's 60 kilometers, to Barbie's property. It took them all day to get there. Upa exclaimed with tears in his eyes, We came all this way to learn more about God and His truth. Will you share it with us? Now, over the past year, Barbie and her husband, Dries, built a church structure on their property, and now more than 100 join together weekly to learn more about Jesus' love and instruction. Because of one woman's excitement to share, think of all the people that now know the Lord. Friends, how much does God love us? We have the evidence of His love. You see, the greatest expression of that love was in sending His Son, Jesus, who willingly came to this earth to pay the price of sin for you and me. Let me share a favorite text. John 3.16 For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son, that whosoever believes in Him should not perish, but have everlasting life. Why would Jesus give His life for us? Because He loves us that much. So then, why did Jesus have to die for us? Well, it tells us in Romans 6.23, The wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. Christ was sinless, but yet He took our penalty. 2 Corinthians 5.21 says, For He, that is God, made Him, that is Jesus, who knew no sin, to be sin for us. Do you realize that when Jesus walked into the dreaded garden of Gethsemane, he allowed the weight of our sins, the sins of the whole world, to almost crush him? Can you picture what that really includes? Every rape, murder, lie, betrayal, torture, abuse, the filthiest of filth, the pure white lamb, Jesus, takes it all. Christ sees himself mocked, humiliated, and even nailed to a degrading cross. He is bearing within himself the horrific reality of your guilt and mine, your shame and mine. Jesus is taking on all the accusing fingers of the universe, pointing at him as the singular reason for sin, while we go free with innocence. 
Jesus prays a prayer that has you and me at the very center of it. Father, if there's any way out of this, please let me go free. But if not, if this is what it takes to save humanity, then your will be done. In the Old Testament, the Israelites sacrificed animals for the forgiveness of their sins, which pointed forward to Jesus, who had come to shed his blood on the cross for the sins of all. The sanctuary services in the Old Testament were designed to teach us God's plan of salvation. Christ lived a life of perfect obedience to God's law and exemplified in his relationships and actions towards others the infinite and perfect love of God. The Lord undid in the wilderness what Adam and Eve had done in in the Garden of Eden. Although tempted by Satan in the wilderness after a 40-day fast, Jesus remained faithful and loyal to the Word of God. Christ also obtained victory where Israel had failed. Jesus quotes Deuteronomy to combat Satan, the tempter. That is Old Testament, friends. Do you see how Jesus uses scripture? Old Testament and New Testament go together. Christ's victory and his life of perfect obedience are credited in favor of those who accept him as Savior. Do you want his life credited for yours? Enabled by a life of perfect obedience to the Father, Jesus offered himself as the blameless Lamb of God who came to take away the sin of the world. And as Martin Luther so beautifully expressed, he has made his righteousness my righteousness and my sin his sin. If he has made my sin to be his sin, then I do not have it, and I am free. Christ's death on the cross is more than a historical event located in the past. It is significant that Paul spoke of Christ, not as Jesus who was crucified, but Jesus who is the crucified one. He is alive, friends. And by his resurrection, Jesus overcame death defeated the forces of evil, and obtained righteousness for us. His resurrection became a pledge of our future immortality. Because he rose, we can live forever. Jesus provided the driving force for us to walk in newness of life. It is only because of him that we can be born again. Because of his great love for us, he made the ultimate sacrifice that he paid on our behalf. God is doing everything he can to warn us so that we are prepared for what is about to come. Let's remember our theme. If it's in the Bible, I believe it. And if it disagrees with the Bible, then it's not for me. Together, let's look at the warning found in these urgent Bible prophecies from the book of Revelation that God has given especially for our generation. Because we saw last night in Matthew 24, the signs of the end time are increasing in frequency and intensity. God's last day message is revealed in Revelation. He always sends a warning to prepare his people for major worldwide events which affect their eternal destiny. There is a biblical pattern, actually, that is so exciting to discover tonight. A loving God invites men and women to be saved before the coming calamity. He pursues us from Genesis right through to Revelation. Let's look at some examples right now. God instructed Noah to prepare men and women for the coming destruction of the world by water. He longed for the people to be saved, not to be destroyed by the flood. 
God has such a huge heart and incredible patience that he asked Noah to warn of the impending doom and gave the people a hundred and twenty years to decide. That it's, that's a hundred and twenty years of mercy, a hundred and twenty years of grace, a hundred and twenty years of loving appeals. Isn't it awesome that mercy and warnings always precede major biblical events? God sent the flood only after the inhabitants of Noah's day rejected the message of mercy. It became crystal clear who God's real followers were. Here's another example. God illustrated the same pattern in the days of Joseph. He revealed that a famine was coming to the land of Egypt. But before the drought happened, he raised up a man by the name of Joseph to not only be the messenger of warning, but also to help them prepare for the coming devastation. God didn't give Pharaoh and the Egyptians only seven days to prepare for the famine. He didn't cause them to scramble to be ready. No, he graciously gave them seven years of warning to prepare for the seven years of famine which would follow. He advised the Pharaoh to store a surplus of grain so the barns were overflowing and filled to the brim. So once again, God saves those who follow his commands. God saw who followed his instructions. This pattern was repeated again and again throughout the Old Testament. God sent his prophets to warn Israel before the impending doom. I just love that. Now, in the New Testament, God called on John the Baptist to prepare the way for the first coming of Jesus. John preached the powerful, shocking truths to bring attention to the Son of God's soon arrival. The Bible describes John as a voice crying in the wilderness to make people ready and prepared for the Lord. Our God is consistent and faithful. We can trust that He means what He says. When He gives us a warning, we can take Him at His word. So let's do just that as we study these three angels' messages to prepare us for great world-shaking events that are soon to come. Once again, God will see who His real followers are. In the Bible's last book, Revelation, God has given us a warning that is just as important for us to understand in our day as it was in the days of Noah, Joseph, and John the Baptist. Let's read this end-time prophecy in Revelation chapter 14 directly from the Bible. We will see it. It, it is proclaimed by three angels. Let's begin with message one found in Revelation 14, verse 6 and 7. Then I saw another angel flying in the midst of heaven, having the everlasting gospel to preach to those who dwell on the earth, to every nation, tribe, tongue, and people, saying with a loud voice, Fear God and give glory to Him, for the hour of His judgment has come, and worship Him who made heaven and earth, the sea and the springs of water. God's last day's urgent message is pictured as being swiftly carried by angels to the ends of the earth. This is universal, friends, going to every nation, kindred, tongue, and people to prepare us for earth's last hour. This urgent message has the everlasting gospel in it. And what is that? The gospel is the good news that through Jesus, our sins can be forgiven. So we have eternal life in heaven. Our guilt can be gone, and we can experience real joy in this life. The gospel is also the good news that the grip of sin on our lives can be broken, and through Jesus we can be set free. 
Let's have the Apostle Paul describe this gospel a little more. 1 Corinthians 15, 3 and 4. Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures, and that he was buried, and that he rose again the third day. Let's look at four points regarding the everlasting gospel. Number one, Christ Jesus died for our sins. The gospel centers on the death of Christ. Our hope is anchored in the cross of Jesus. Our faith depends on what Jesus did for us, not what we do for ourselves. Ephesians 2, 8 and 9, For by grace you have been saved through faith, and that not of yourselves. It is the gift of God, not of works, lest anyone should boast. Salvation is a gift and God is offering it to you right now. Number two, Christ lived a perfect life. Christ's perfect life record is put in place of the sinful records of all who accept him. He was and is perfect. We are imperfect. Through his perfect righteousness, we stand before God's throne complete in him. So that when God the Father looks at us, he only sees Jesus. Though your sins be as scarlet, they shall be white as snow. Number three, Christ rose from the dead. Jesus not only died for us, he lives for us. We can bring to him all of our heart's longings and desires. We can come to him with all of our weaknesses and sins. We can bring to him everything that troubles and confuses us. Our God has risen from the grave. Our God is not made of stone that crumbles. He is alive. And point number four, Christ Jesus ascended to the Father. That's important because the world's political leaders all die. Nebuchadnezzar is dead. Alexander the Great is dead. Caesar, Napoleon, Hitler, and Stalin are all dead. But Jesus is alive. He ascended to the Father 2,000 years ago and is in heaven at this very moment. He knows your name, friend. He understands your needs. Did you know he longs to hear your personal prayers? His greatest desire is to save you for his kingdom. The everlasting gospel is Jesus, and he is the answer. He continues to forgive over and over again. Jesus still changes lives. I have witnessed this in death row prisoners' eyes. Once he understood Jesus' love and that it's for him, he accepted Jesus into his life. And he now has the hope of life eternal beyond these bars. I have seen this in an entire communist rebel camp that laid down their weapons and joined us in worship, ending with a beautiful baptismal ceremony. And while in Nepal and the Himalayan mountains, my video crew and I hiked to visit a newly baptized Christian village. And I personally observed a former witch doctor's newfound joy in the power of Jesus. He recognized that his empty chants and worthless potions were no match for the King of Kings. And I love our documentary of a young girl who left the safety of her mountain village to make it big in the city. She was tricked into prostitution and became imprisoned in hopelessness. Amazingly enough, a small radio was given to her as payment one night, and this is how she learned of Jesus, her personal Savior, and His healing forgiveness. Hope and strength grew within her, and she escaped that life and is now living free as a child of God. 
friend, Jesus can change anyone's life. He is the ultimate gentleman, so you must invite him into your heart. He will carry your burdens and give you peace of life eternal. And he makes this available to everyone. He wants all of us to know of his healing power and grace. And that's why we must tell the whole world, just like we learn in Matthew 24, 14. The gospel will be preached in the, to the entire world before Jesus comes. Every individual will have the opportunity to respond to the action that God is taking in his or her own life. He is protecting, providing, and pursuing us constantly. The king of the universe is seeking your attention. Can you believe that? He is wanting to be close with you and hears your heart's desires. Now that we've reviewed what the everlasting gospel is, we will now return to the first angel's message. Revelation 14, 7. Fear God and give glory to Him, for the hour of His judgment has come, and worship Him who made heaven and earth, the sea and springs of water. What does it mean to fear God? To fear God means to respect or reverence Him by obeying His teachings. Ecclesiastes twelve thirteen says, Let us hear the conclusion of the whole matter, Fear God and keep His commandments, for this is the whole duty of man. Proverbs 3.1 says, My son, do not forget my law, and let your heart keep my commands. In an age of waning morality, God is calling us back to obedience to His law. He's calling us to keep His commandments. Revelation 14.12 describes God's end-time people this way, Here is the patience of the saints. Here are those who keep the commandments of God and have the faith of Jesus. This is a call to obedience. Obedience is a neglected truth in some Christian circles today. Too many Christians emphasize free grace without paying attention to the importance of God's law. Now, what is God's law? It is a reflection of God's character, spelled out in His Ten Commandments. He wants us to be like Him, to live in peace and harmony. So when we keep His law, it is in our best interest for an optimal life. Secondly, it is a call to give glory to God. What does it mean to give glory to God? It means to honor Him in our lifestyle. God's last day message is calling us to honor God in how we treat our bodies, and this includes what we eat, drink, how we live. 1 Corinthians 10.31 says, Therefore, whatever, whatever you eat or drink, or whatever you do, do all to the glory of God. Romans 12.1 I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable to God, which is your reasonable service. Our bodies are temples of the living God and belong to Him. He also appeals to us to give Him glory to honor in, and honor in every aspect, aspect of our lives. Revelation 14.7 And worship Him who made heaven and earth, the sea and springs of water. Who are we called to worship? Our Creator. That makes sense. In an age of evolution, when millions have dismissed the idea of a Creator God, Revelation 14.7 appeals to us to worship Him who made heaven and earth. The very basis of worship is the fact that God created us. Revelation 4.11 You are worthy, O Lord, to receive glory and honor and power, for You created all things, and by Your will they exist and were created. The final conflict between good and evil 
focuses on the issue of worship and specifically who we worship, the creator or man-made teachings, the creator or the beast. It calls us back to accepting God's sign of loyalty rather than the beast's mark. Through the message of the first angel, we have discovered as Christians what we are supposed to be doing, obeying God and giving him glory in our lifestyles. We have discovered why we are supposed to do it. It's because he's our creator. He made us, so he is worthy of our allegiance. Now let's discover why this message is so critically important. Revelation 14, 7. Fear God and give glory to him for the hour of his judgment has come. Revelation's final message does not say the hour of God's judgment will come. No, it has come. Could it be that we are living in the judgment hour? Could it be that the destinies of all humanity are soon to be settled by the uh, by the choices we are now making today? Before the coming of Jesus, heaven's final judgment will determine the reward of each person before he comes. Revelation is a book about eternal choices. Revelation 22 verse 12 shows us this. And behold, I am coming quickly and my reward is with me to give to everyone according to his work. If Jesus is coming to give out his rewards, there must be a judgment preceding his return. Revelation 16, 7. Even so, Lord God Almighty, true and righteous are your judgments. You see, God never makes a mistake. Earthly courts and judges make mistakes, but our sovereign king never makes a mistake. His judgments are true and righteous. You can count on him to be fair. Revelation reveals that every human being alive when Jesus come has already made their final decision for or against Christ. Revelation 22:11. He who is unjust, let him be unjust still. He who is filthy, let him be filthy still. He who is righteous, let him be righteous still. He who is holy, let him be holy still. The Christ of Revelation is appealing to you tonight. He wants you to be saved. He wants you to live in his kingdom forever. He can't bear the thought of you being lost. More than anything else, he desires to be with you forever in his kingdom. So he has this, he has sent this urgent message to you in Revelation 14. Let's summarize this vital message of the first angel. This is a call to accept the everlasting gospel, to give glory to God in our lives, and also a reminder to worship the Creator. This is God's appeal for commitment, obedience, and loyalty. Next, the second angel reveals truth and exposes error. Here's what God's Word says in Revelation 14, 8. And another angel followed, saying, Babylon is fallen, is fallen, that great city, because she has made all nations drink of the wine of the wrath of her fornication. In the book of Revelation, Babylon represents spiritual confusion. Just as God confused the languages at the Tower of Babel, at the end time, man-made teachings based on tradition would bring confusion into the Christian church. The second angel announces that all man-made systems will not stand in the final crisis. False doctrines would come into the church through the false religious system called Babylon. 
God is calling his people today back to his word. The Bible is the foundation of the Christian faith. Jesus said in John 17, 17, sanctify them by your truth. Your word is truth. The central issue regarding the mark of the beast is worship. Stay tuned, friends, because we will dive deeper into the details of Babylon and the Mark of the Beast in upcoming programs titled The Harlot and the Mark. The angel's warnings against receiving the Mark of the Beast is one of the most serious in the entire Bible. You won't want to miss hearing details on that. Now let's look at the third angel's message beginning in Revelation 14.9. Then a third angel followed them, saying with a loud voice, If anyone worships the beast and his image and receives his mark on his forehead or his hand, he himself shall also drink of the wine of the wrath of God. These three angels conclude with a description of those who are faithful at the end time. And what are those characteristics of those who will be ready when Jesus comes? Revelation fourteen twelve. Here is the patience of the saints. Here are those who keep the commandments of God and have the faith of Jesus. Let's summarize. Revelation 14.7 is a call to true worship, worshiping the Creator. Revelation 14.9 is a warning against false worship. And Revelation 14.12 presents the true followers of God. Friends, the issue is worship. God will have a group of people who worship Him as Creator and Lord by keeping all His commandments. God's last day message warns us against the devil's deceptions in the end time. Satan's main goal is to mess with God's commandments. The three angels' messages are the final messages of warning to the world. These messages ensure that everyone has had a chance to choose between the kingdom of God and the kingdom of earth, Satan's kingdom. When the messages have reached everyone, Christ will return to free and rescue his people. Jesus told us those things not so that we would be troubled, but that we would not be misled, and so that we would work hard to share his urgent messages. Now is the time for serious reflection, not fear. With prophecy markers all around us, today is the day to watch as faithful, wise servants for Christ's return. It's an appeal to surrender completely to God and commit our lives to following His truth. What is God's desire for His end-time people? It is a heart loyal to Him. It is a willing obedience to Him. It's a giving over of our lives to Him. There was a precious little blonde-haired girl with a rare disease. In order to live, she urgently needed a blood transfusion. After much searching, It was discovered her only hope for survival was to receive a blood donation from her twin brother, not only because the siblings had the same blood type, but also because he himself had survived the condition that she suffered from. His blood contained the antibody that could save Judy's life. When Dr. Brad asked the boy if he would agree to give blood for his sister, he was initially hesitant. He thought long and hard. But when the doctor explained to him, that it was the only way to save his sister's life. The little boy's eyes filled with tears and he said, yes, he would go through with it. The transfusion proceeded. The two siblings lay next to each other on the hospital bed holding hands during the treatment. The doctor was relieved as he saw color return to Judy's face. 
When the procedure was finished, the young boy suddenly became very solemn. His big blue serious eyes looked up at the doctor and quietly whispered a question that the doctor will never forget. Doctor, so when will I die? The brave, unselfish brother thought that with his blood donation, he would be literally giving up his life to save his sisters. He loved his twin sister to the point he was willing to give his life as sacrifice to save her life. The doctor was astounded and quickly reassured him immediately and clarified that of course he wasn't going to die. Instead, now they both would live. In contrast, now I want to tell you a story about a man who willingly did give up his life for undeserving strangers. What is incomprehensible is that you and I have King Jesus who willingly died for undeserving you and undeserving me in such a gruesome, demeaning way, the cross. What does dying on the cross really mean? The cross is this beautiful, undeniable demonstration of love for all others, even his enemies. He puts them above himself. Jesus proves that God loves every member of the human race more than his own existence, more than his own life. So Jesus said, when people look at the cross, they're going to encounter a love that will draw their hearts back to me. I won't have to force or manipulate or deceive them. I simply love them. And by loving them, by giving my own life, they will see my character, my way. Simultaneously, two things are happening at the cross. Satan is conquered and human hearts are won back to the kingdom of God. Colossians 2.15, Paul tells us that uh, the cross disarmed evil powers. It was here that Jesus made a public spectacle of the devil. Jesus is showing all people, all angels, all the other worlds out there that Satan's way of force and coercion are defective. Jesus proves truth and love are more powerful than evil ever could be. This is how Jesus wins the war against the kingdom of darkness. This is how God's character and government is finally vindicated. The cross was totally unanticipated. That's the thing I love about it. Satan believed that this would be a force-by-force, fist-to-fist fight. But what really happens is that he got outflanked, outsmarted, and outplayed. Victory comes at the very moment Satan thinks he has achieved victory by killing Jesus in a terrible, hideous, demonic way. It is as if Satan bore his chest with pride, only to simultaneously receive the strike of death. He really believed that he had won, only to realize in the same moment, I've lost it. What happened at the cross is this. Love and selfishness stood face to face, and love gained the victory. Jesus rose again, friends, and that's why he sends his three angels to warn us of the events, to prepare us for his coming, to illustrate to us once again how much he loves us. Today, in hearing the message of this presentation, are you comforted and do you sense the need to be mindful of God's warning? Jesus longs for you to make a decision to follow him. 
Jesus says in John 14, 1-3, Let not your heart be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you. I go to prepare a place for you. Now let me pause there. This is so deeply personal. Jesus is preparing a place for you. Then he continues, And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you to myself, that where I am, there you may be also. Jesus, the King of the universe, wants you with him forever. So wherever you are right now, watching or listening, would you like to respond, Yes, Lord, prepare my heart, just as you are preparing a heavenly home for me. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, thank you for sending us your three angels' messages, warning us about what is to come and providing us the perfect way out through the sacrifice of your Son, Jesus. Lord, prepare the hearts of each listener right now for your soon coming. May we each choose to heed your warning. You are such a gracious and merciful God. In Jesus' precious, powerful name, amen. Join us tomorrow night for more Unlocking Bible Prophecies. Choose God's way. Good night, friends.